Let's, uh, let's just start right off with what God desperately asks us to do and what Satan hates. Let's pray. Father, we come to you asking for your power and your strength. I pray for people right now who need to get help. They need to get help for their anxiety. They need to get help for their depression. They need to get help for their addiction. I pray for those people who need to get help for their marriages. They need to get help for their souls. I pray that they would reach out to you. And I pray that whether they're watching through a television, a phone, or whether they're here in person, that you would minister through your word. Lord, there's nothing I can say, but through prayer, through your spirit, through the power that you bring to bear, only through you can lives be changed. So I'm asking you to speak today, physically, digitally, for you to work mightily. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, this is, um, this is the last of our, our prophet series. I've had a blast bringing it. Um, Elijah and Elisha, we spent a lot of time here. We're going to go on to the book of Hebrews next week, so start reading it. Some of it will be crystal clear. Some of it will overwhelm you and scare you to death. But the core of the book is this. Jesus is supreme over all in every conceivable situation. And we're going to spend about 18 weeks going through that book that maybe uh, you didn't know a lot about. And we're going to break that down for you. Uh, so we're going to finish this off. And uh, I have a note up here that says... Prayer and be funny. So I, I've already, I've already prayed. Um, so yeah, that would just leave. Uh, yeah, okay. So um, did it? Were any of you? Were any of you in the high school band? I didn't get too much of a response last night. Okay, a few, pe- few people. How many of you had a garage band? You were covering Zeppelin and. All right, very good. I, w- I was actually in a band called the Hinges. We open for the doors. <laughs> All right, right now, right now, you are 50 points ahead of Saturday night service. All right, so just, just to let you know where you rate. Okay, we're going to be in 2 Kings 7. It's a long chapter. Um, We're going to hit highlights of it. I'm going to tell you about chapter 6, then we'll get to chapter 7. This is how we're going to finish this prophet series. Israel continues to sin. They continue to worship false gods. No matter what uh, pain God brings on them, destruction uh, God brings upon them. And now God has sent the Syrian army. Okay, this is Damascus. They're called the Arameans. But they are what we know today as the Syrians. They've surrounded the capital city. They are systematically starving the Israelites to death. You want to know how bad it was? Chapter 6 tells us that a donkey's head, right? I don't know how many of you have ever eaten a donkey's head. Tremendous amount of great meat, I'm certain, on a donkey's head was selling for two and a half pounds of silver. And the king of Israel is walking around the walls of the city. And a lady cries out and says, King, help me. Now, you got to know the king doesn't have these kind of conversations. And the king says, What do you need? He said, I need you to tell my sister something. He said, "What's, What's the problem? And she said, well, we made a deal last night that we would eat my child last night and we'll eat her child tonight. And now she is pulling back on her commitment. You want to know how bad things were? That's how bad things were. 
Okay? And they are surrounded, they're starving to death, and there's no hope. There is no hope at all. But here's the thesis of what I want you to hear for this entire message. When God steps in, the whole story changes. Doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter what the odds are. It doesn't matter what the problem is. You see, how many people have raised from the dead? What were the odds of Jesus coming back from the dead? None. None. But the odds didn't matter, did they? The enemies that were surrounding Jesus, the, the power of death that has Jesus engulfed, the power of sin, it doesn't matter because when God moves and God always gets the last play. And when God gets the last play, He wins. If you've read your Bible, you understand, regardless of what happens in my life, in my family, in my world, Jesus wins. If you haven't figured that out yet, you've missed Christianity. So listen, I get it. Man, who's not? I'm standing, I can feel the anxiety. I got my own problems. I'm not carrying yours. Anxiety, worry, anger, bitterness, frustration. Who's lying to me? Who's not lying to me? Is everybody lying to me? The one thing I know that is true is that Jesus rose from the dead. And church, it is incumbent upon us not only to spread the message, but to make sure we hold on tightly to that message. Hebrews says we have our hope as an anchor for our soul. Why do you need the anchor? You need the anchor when the storms come. You don't set the anchor when things are good. You drop an anchor when things are rough around you so that the ship is not destroyed. You drop your anchor and you hold on tight. Now Jim Garlow, you probably never heard of Jim's name. Feel free to look him up. Jim is one of the premier church historians on the planet. And he pastors a church out in San Diego. Brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, but Jim did a study recently that finally, finally said, I guess what I knew, I just didn't know how to quantify it. Because people keep saying, how can there be so many churches in America and have so little impact? Good question. There are 364,000 churches in the United States of America. Check that out. 364. 4,000. Jim's estimate, based on data that he's collected in his studies, is that over 264,000 of those churches believe absolutely nothing that you and I hold dear as the body of Christ. They, do, now they, they go through the rituals, but they do not believe in the authority of Scripture. They do not believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in the resurrection. They probably don't even believe there was a historical Jesus. They don't believe in biblical morality. They don't believe in morality at all the way the Bible defines it. And he said, so that brings us down to 100,000 churches. And he said, of those 100,000 churches, about 85,000 of those churches are so dead that they do nothing. They just have church and go home. Which leaves us, he says, somewhere between six and 15,000 churches in the United States of America that are actually trying to win people to Jesus and trying to advance the kingdom of God globally. Now, when you take a look at that situation, you realize why we're not having the impact. So what do we have to do? We've got to make sure our anchor holds, and we've got to keep exporting what we've got. You want to know why we're planting churches? You want to know why we're sending out missionaries? Because we may be in, this, in a minority, but the minority still has the power of God. And when God is for you, 
Romans 8 said, nothing can be against you. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against us will prosper. Oh, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Did it say there won't be a weapon formed against you? Now, there's a whole bunch of weapons formed against us. Man, you are surrounded. We are surrounded. The American church is just now finding out what the rest of the world church has been dealing with for the last 2,000 years. We've had it so easy and so soft, and it was the cool thing to do to be a Christian. Well, that's no longer the case. It's time to toughen up, church. It's time for us to, to dig in and be the Christians that we always said we were. To grab a hold, to know the Word, to memorize the Word, to be people of prayer, to be committed to sharing this message. Because the rest of the world has felt this kind of pressure forever. It's our turn to step into the gap and act like it. Act like that we're there and we believe and that we're going to be faithful to God regardless of the circumstances. And I don't care if you're watching at home, if you're here. Guys, it's time the church set the anchor firm. Because the weapons are going to be formed against us. And listen, the closer you get to defeat, if you're the enemy, you ever seen any battle footage, what, what do you do? At the end, the guy that's losing is going to throw everything he's got for one last assault. I promise you Jesus is ready for that assault. We just have to stand with him. So that's the situation in the city. So Elisha is called into the city. It's always interesting. All their pagan worship, all their pagan uh, gods they have, and they always wait till things are all gone before they call the man of God. So they call Elisha. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word. We're going to look at chapter 7. Uh, the first 11 verses, and then we're going to just read the last two verses in the chapter. You can read in between, uh, but I'll, there's a reason. You'll see. All right. So Elisha said to the king of Samaria, hear the word of the Lord. Now, remember what the king of Samaria has just heard. All right. We've got the economic system, system with the donkey, and we've got the situation with the two mothers. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow. A bushel of flour will sell for a shekel. There is no flour. And two bushels of barley will sell for a shekel. There is no barley at the moment at the gate of Samaria. The officers on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, the guy hanging with the king, said, Look, even if the Lord would open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? Elisha said, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Remember that. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance to the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say, we'll go into the city, the famine's in there, and we'll die. And if we stay here, we'll die. So, let's go over to the camp of the Syrians and surrender. If they spare us... We'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Syrians. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Syrians to hear the sound of chariots and horses in a great army. 
So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites. Hittites were from Turkey and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and they ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and they ate and drank. When they took... Then they took silver and gold and clothes, and they went off and they hid them. They returned, entered another tent, took some things from it, and hid them also. Then they said, well, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went to the Syrian camp, and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. The officer, now we skip to the end here. Okay, now remember the guy that said, <laughs> even if God were to open the floodgates? Okay, so once they find out the Syrian army's gone, everybody's starving, guess what they're going to do? They want out in those tents. What's out in those tents? Food, water, wine, life. The officer that had said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? The man of God had replied, You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And that's exactly what happened to him. For the people trampled him at the gateway, and he died. Maybe a verse to put on your fridge right there. All right? You can be seated. So when is the victory? When is the victory? Good question, Joe. Thank you. Uh, the victory's tomorrow. The victory's tomorrow. The disciples had to wait three days for Jesus' resurrection. Joshua had to march around the city. It took a week. The victory's tomorrow. I don't know what that victory is going to look like. I don't know what we're going to have to get through to get to the victory. But we've done so many funerals here. Uh, it seems like two weeks. Three a week for the last few weeks. But every one of them have been celebrations. Without doubt, everybody that we've done the funerals for have been saved. And they were ready to step into eternity. They were with Jesus. Everything was made right. And we talked about the fact that once you cross into that spiritual realm, you don't have to worry about messing up again. Does that sound like a victory for anybody? Amen. That's always my fear that somewhere along the line, Joe's going to mess up again. No, listen... The victory comes tomorrow. I don't know if that means I, I, that I'm going to die, if it's through the, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, the second coming of Jesus. I, listen, I don't know and I really don't care. I know this, I win. When do I win? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. But Scripture says in the twinkling of an eye, it's all going to change. In the twinkling of an eye. When Jesus rose from the dead, everything changed like that. Satan had won for three days. But the second Jesus opened his eyes, the whole universe changed. And when Jesus comes back, the whole universe is going to change again. And it's going to happen according to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It's, it says uh, in the twinkling of an eye, the word, the Greek word there is such a bizarre word. It's, um, it's like a billionth of a second. It's like, it's not even the twin, it's not even a, the, the fluttering of your eyelashes. It's a word that, that means just kind of a you know, it's like a dash of salt flip, flipping by. It happens so fast, everything is going to change. When's it going to change? Tomorrow. 
1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Now, is there a battle? Well, there must be. Why do I need that information? Because there's an enemy without fighting against me. And I need everything I've got inside to withstand. But guess what? I win. Now, my plea today, I beg you, if you've not accepted Jesus, don't leave here without him. If you're watching online, there's a button you can push. I've decided. Hit that button. Ask for help. Say, I need Jesus. I want to get right with him. Yeah, if people, and this is, you know, it's on Facebook. There's all kinds of crazy stuff out there. But if people were half as afraid of hell as they are about this virus, it would change the church of Jesus forever. Now, I'm not telling you not to be concerned, but this is what amazes me. Is there anybody here that thought they weren't going to die? It's like it's a revelation to people. Oh, my gosh, I could die. I've known since, you know what? First, first prayer, my parents taught me to pray. If I should die before I wake? Now, that's a fun thing to teach a two-year-old. It's... I never, as I got to be older, I'm thinking, what were you thinking, man? But that was always there. And if you took time to dissect that prayer, okay, the reality is none of us have tomorrow promise. But I do know this, tomorrow's the victory. Tomorrow is when I win. What else you got? We got you got a picture for me there. What, what have I got in that? I don't even remember. We have the, oh yeah, this is a great story. The New York Mets drafted this kid his name's his name's Eric and he's he's uh, 20 years old he's a two-time cancer survivor and the Mets drafted him and this is what they said this kid is so tough and has no quit in him he can't possibly fail while everybody else passed on him didn't want to draft him because he'd had cancer they saw him as a liability the Mets of all things a New York team it bothers me but um, but of all, <laughs> sorry, it says right here, funny. Um, um, they saw something there. They saw that grit in him and they said, this is a kid that we can't lose on. When you have Jesus, you can't lose. Amen. You, can, you can get beaten up. You can get bloodied. You can go through a lot of tough times. But tomorrow... We win. And here's the deal. The odds don't matter. See, they're surrounded. When they bring Elisha in to speak to the king, they're surrounded. Right? So what's going on? Two and a half pounds of silver. All right, those of you that have got all your money tied up thinking this is going to be my salvation. Well, if you've got two and a half pounds of silver, you can buy a donkey head. Man, are you rich. Are you with me? But he says the next day it's going to change and you'll buy, be able to buy a bushel of barley for two-fifths of an ounce of silver. I know that gets lost in translation. So we're all dying. We're down to a donkey head. But tomorrow, but, but the odds are against this. How, this is not going to happen. This never happened before. Well, you know, it does happen again. In 2 Kings 19, this is 850 B.C., by the way. We, can, we, can, we actually know the day this happened. Um, we also know the date. 
that in 2 Kings 19, verse 5, another king came, this one to surround Jerusalem. His name was Sennacherib. He was from the Assyrian kingdom. This guy's from like what we call Damascus. Uh, the other guy in, is from, from Babylon. You feel, feel free to look him up. Um, but he's done the same thing to Jerusalem, starved them out. We've got the same story playing out. In this one, God sends the chariots and runs them out. They all run away. In the second story, God sends the death angel into the camp of the Assyrians and 185,000 soldiers die overnight right across the valley from Jerusalem. I'll show you the exact spot where that entire army died. And we know what happened. The king went back and his, he, he went back to Babylon and he went back with no army. They don't say we, everybody died. It just says in their own records in stone, the king came back without his army and his two sons killed, his, killed the king so they could take control. But there's no army left. Now, if you have the King James, this is one time when I'm really a King James proponent, because in 2 Kings 19.5, one of the great verses ever penned, it says of the Assyrian army, 185,000 men woke up dead. It is one of the classic rites in English history. 185,000 guys woke up dead. But the results are the same. The Israelites go in, they get the spoil, the city's saved, the people eat again, they, they go back to their, their normal life, they start worshiping the living God again, and then the cycle starts all over again. And we've watched it happen in America, we've watched churches just continue to slide away from truth, try to blend in with the culture. Um, but listen, if you'll stand with the Word of God, the odds may be totally stacked against us, totally stacked against you. You might be, have a room full of Christian friends and you're still the only one. I have pastor friends that tell me they go to meetings and they're the only pastor in the room that believes the Bible's the Word of God. It's frightening. It's frightening. But that doesn't change my faith. It just strengthens my faith. And yeah, the odds, they could be against me. Everybody knows the story of, uh, of the Alamo, books and movies and TV specials, and um, they're, they're, they're not hard to find. But does anybody know the Battle of San Vicente? I had two last night. No American historians? Okay. Well, that happened a few days later. That's when Sam Houston showed up. And Sam Houston said, guys, you need to remember the Alamo. And they came, Santa Ana's got this massive army. 18 minutes is how long the Battle of San Vicente lasted. Nobody knows this great story. 18 minutes. And not only did they capture the Mexican army, but they captured the Emperor, was it Maximilian? Was that the guy? And he, for out of his own life, signed a peace treaty, and we got Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, California. 18 minutes. Why did I tell you that? That's how fast things can change. In the twinkling of an eye. The odds were not in Sam Houston's favor. The odds were not in America's favor. The odds were not in God's favor when Jesus is laying in that tomb. But God's never been too worried about odds. And neither should you and I. Because when you watch the world, the world has always got us outnumbered. And yet the church has always won. 
and we will win. So don't worry about what the odds are. And here's the key maybe to the whole story is that God ultimately has the trump card. I don't know how many of you played cards. I grew up, we we didn't grow up with phones and um, TVs and what have you. We played, we had dirt. Uh, We had, um, I don't know. But in the winter, long cold winters in Missouri, my memories are learning to play cards. And uh, hearts, spades, pinochle, rook, poker. Uh, What do you do? It's, you know, it's minus 30 for three weeks. We played cards. And by the time I was about eight years old, I'm playing with the adults. And and I, I learned a powerful thing that if you've got whatever you're playing, depending on the game, but you've got the trump card. You've got the rook card if you're playing rook. You've got the ace in trumps. If you're holding that card, it does not matter what everybody else has and what cards they play. You just sit there very calmly. Because it's not like, well, I've got a jack and they might have the queen. No. No. I got the trump card. And as long as you're holding that card, and that's what Jesus gives us. If you want the scripture, here's Colossians 2. You've got to go back and read all of Colossians 2. But here's Colossians 2.15. This is what Jesus did. Having disarmed... He took away all the weapons. No weapon formed against me. Didn't say he wouldn't have weapons, right? No weapon formed against me will prosper. Jesus disarmed the powers, the principalities, and the authorities, all the evil that's against you. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over all of them. How? By the cross. There's the trump card. I got Jesus. All right. We've been doing this for a while. I want to tell you about a guy named Murray. M-A-U-R-Y. He's known as the Pathfinder of the Seas. Anybody, anybody know about this guy? 1800s. He's a sea captain. He's a Christian. And um, he was sick. He was, thought he was dying. And he asked his daughter to read scripture to him. And so every day she was just open the Bible and read and read and read and read. And one day she was reading Psalm 8 to him. And in Psalm 8, verse 8, she came across this verse. It says, The birds in the sky and the fish of the sea and all that swim in the paths of the sea. And he said, Well, wait a minute. Read read that again. And she read it again. He said, Paths in the sea. He said, God's telling me something. Do you know to this day, this was only 200 years ago, by the way, that we found this out. You know how the, the trade routes grow across the Atlantic? They don't just like, you don't just randomly say, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to London and head out this way. No, there are rivers in the ocean. Well, we all know that now. 200 years ago, nobody knew that. But this guy, who's called the Admiral of the Seas, I love that. He read Psalm 8 and said, God put rivers in the ocean. We need to find those because if we find those, we'll be able to zip back and forth across the Atlantic at an incredible speed rather than constantly fighting battles and getting de- our ships getting destroyed by storms. And so he found what we call today the steering currents that every ship traveling back and forth across the world uses to navigate. And God told David about it 3,000 years ago. That's free. All right. 
let's, let's get back to the title, right? We should do the title before we finish, right? Game, set, match. Right? Never much for tennis, but you can lose a game, still win. You can lose a set and still win. Because all you want to hear is the last call, game, set, match. When Jesus came out of the grave, that's exactly what it was. When Jesus comes back, I don't care what's going on. I don't care what the odds are against me. I don't care what's happened to me, what you and I've had to endure. It will be game, set, and match. Well, actually, it will be for both sides. So if you don't know Jesus, I beg you, today's the day. There'll be folks down front. Come down. Hit that button online. Right in there. Hey, somebody help me. I need Jesus. That's why there's people monitoring right now online to help you with that. I'm so glad you guys were here. Thank you for having the courage to come. Thank you for having the courage to watch online. Let's pray. And I promise you the last song is going to tie this all together. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would quit worrying about the odds. We would quit looking at all that's allied against us and we would realize who's working in us. That we would realize that we have faith as an anchor for our soul. The hope that we have is set deep. And Lord, I can't wait to that moment when everything changes again. While it must have been so cool for the first disciples to experience it, this time there'll be billions of us to celebrate together. So, Father, move in the hearts of people now. In Jesus' name, amen.